It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! Yeah, baby. So excited to be here. Kano's in the room. Hey, Kano. Um, I'd like to welcome this week's special guest, Mr. Casey Hurwitz. <laughs> Look at him as he breaks into a smile. <laughs> So anyway, Casey has been a taxi member for like 20 years or something. He's, you know, you're, the thing I appreciate most about you other than your striking good looks, Case, uh, <laughs> is the, the, the fact that you spend an incredible amount of time on the forum and have been answering questions on that forum since we started it in 2003. Probably more answered questions than anybody. So congratulations and thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I have no life. <laughs> I know that feeling. Uh, anyway, so Casey reached out to me and said, hey, you know, after seeing that spiffy show that you did, uh, oh, sorry, I got to pull this over. There we go. After seeing that spiffy show that I did with uh, Yo Polly last week, uh, Casey said, you know, I think I've got some valuable information about collaborating which is a subject I love to talk about. So that's what we're going to do today is talk about collaboration. But first, I'd like to tell you a little bit about today's Bachelorette. I mean, Bachelor. Um, Casey, uh, let's see, he's collaborated with over 25 taxi members over a 15 to 20 year period. Most of his pace placements have been through collaborations. Um, you can check out his songs at caseysongs.com, K-C-C-A-S-E-Y songs.com um he's had 60 placements on the young and the restless and that's because he watches soap operas every chance he gets um, <laughs> um all those are collabs he's got network placements on shows like chicago fire which my wife has been streaming every episode for the duration of the show um salvation on cbs the night shift on nbc the originals on the CW and legacies on the CW. So I mean, the obvious question is define collaboration because I know it to be, it can be different things to different people. So tell us what it is to you, Casey. You know, it varies so much. Um, and collaboration can be one person writes lyrics and one person writes music. Collaboration could be a combination of the music, a combination of the lyrics. It could be one person's got a great chorus but needs a verse. One person needs a bridge. Um, it could be pure production issues. Um, there's real, um, or it could be, yeah, you know, it could be performance issues. It could be anything. Um, and and this is something that varies all over the place. Um, all right. Well give us what what is your typical reason for collaborating i guess is probably well, this. i collaborate uh a lot because i can't produce as, as you know i i'm a songwriter sometimes i put an instrumental together but i i hate i don't do production i have minimal D daw skills my ear for production is not that good and um, I don't sing very well. <laughs> so collaboration. I, I can prove that in about a minute or two. <laughs> I gave my good example, which, by the way, is not at all near my worst example. <laughs> but he's going to be, he wasn't my worst. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, so um, 
a lot of my collaboration started really is because I don't produce. But it also, um, there are many times I write just lyrics. There are many times I have part of a song and need help with it. I'll, maybe I'll have a song, but it's just not strong enough and somebody else can make it stronger. Um, it, and it, so there's a, there's a lot of reasons for collaborating. I see people posting things on the forum looking for collaborators all the time. And it, um, sometimes they only have lyrics. Sometimes they've got something else. Um, all right. So how do you know when you, uh, boy, our, our audio levels are dramatically different. And I can adjust mine, and I've adjusted yours about as high as I can you're, get. You're can, very, you want me to get mine louder somehow, get near the mic? But yours very echoey, so I'm working on that, on listening to you. Um, so what was your question? Um, how do you find your collaborators? I mean, do you just say, hey, everybody, I'm looking for a collaborator? How did you find them before you had people that you collaborated with that you could go back to time and time again? I think this goes back, God, even to when I started on the forum around 2003 or four. It was almost every collaborator, virtually everyone, has come through Taxi, through the forum and the rally. Um, the combination of getting to know people on the forum and then meeting them in the rally and building relationships. I think early around 2003, four, it started mainly for me looking for work for hire producers uh, to take my songs and produce them because that's what I needed to do. Um, and um, at the time, I didn't really have a good source. I started looking around and I met people on the forum. Um, and uh, for example, you know, I, I would look at who's doing well. <laughs> Um, I don't remember what year it was, maybe 06, 07, 08, maybe a little later than that, when I say, hey, Paul Otten, he's getting, God, this guy's godly. He knows exactly <laughs> what to do to get forward, to get placements. And it took a little courage, you know, like something I encourage people to do is um, collaborate upwards. You know, try, it's not impossible to do that, to go to somebody who's better than you and see if you could offer them something. The there's a fine line that I want to address with that because there are people that reach too high and they will, you know, you've got to be so, you can be a little below somebody in my personal opinion, but if you're way below, like you're just starting out and you're an absolute rookie and your songs have no form or the melodies are meandering and your lyrics make no sense, that's not the time to go try and ride into a library on somebody like Paul Otten's coattails because he, he's going to say, uh, no, thank you. Um, or you might actually earn a little bit of a bad reputation amongst other members if you're, you know, trying to grab the brass ring with this person, that person, like reaching out to all the guys that are clearly getting action and you're not ready to bring something to the party with yeah. them. So your point was well taken about um, well, it's got to be somewhat equitable. And that's a very important point in that people ask for collaboration, but they're not bringing anything to the table or they're not bringing enough to the table to impress anybody. You know, a classic example would be people throw lyrics on the forum and say, I really need a collaborator. I've got these lyrics. I need somebody to help me. Yeah. But what they have might be some poem they wrote. There's no song to it. There's no verse and chorus. There's nothing. It's not going to get anybody excited. Or the same thing if they post something. Oh, there goes Casey. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I think he actually disconnected a wire. <laughs> Let's see if he comes back to me. Um, if not, I'm going to call him on the phone. Casey, if you can still hear me, just try and log back in again the same way you did before. Otherwise, I will call you. There he is. Oh, scared me. Um, what so was that? Did, did you bump a mouse or hit a wire? I haven't touched, I'm not touching anything, but I don't know what the last thing I said that was heard was. Well, we weren't listening anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Okay, good. You know, um, like I said, if you, I now you were talking about people that post a lyric that's basically like a poem. See how attentive I am? Well, actually, I thought you said we were listening anyway, and then I realized what you said. But no, it, it could be lyrics or it could be music, and you know, it has to be. You got to have something to bring somebody's interest. Um, so learn enough. You know, maybe you can't produce for a bleep. But you can put together something like maybe it's a cue that truly has a repeating motif, like people ask for, or maybe it's a song that truly has verses and choruses. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you probably won't do that well if you throw something up there, or you know, people are often posting on the forum that they want to collab and don't even put a sample of their work. Well, it's not going to help much. <laughs> uh, you know what? Let's talk about the fear of theft issue because this is very timely considering that you just said people fear, don't put, sorry, the fear, of, fear, fear of, of getting their music ripped off by somebody oh I, I think this is one of the oldest worries of musicians that i encounter over and over again if i post on the forum is somebody going to rip me off i love when people say i, I want to post this instrumental cue on the forum and ask everybody if it's ready to go and they worry that somebody's going to steal it why would somebody steal something as small as an instrumental cue that's never going to be a million dollar income generator vis-a-vis -a, -vis a you know a, a giant hit song on spotify in the radio it's an instrumental cue that might generate you know a thousand dollars in a good year maybe it's probably you know, going to generate sixty seven dollars um, um i'd say if it generates 100 or 200 it might be more the average in the lifetime um no nobody wants to steal your work it's there's and you know and even if they did there's just the odds of the thing even getting placed in our business are small you have to have a lot of material out there nobody wants to steal your material um you know if and you know you could sit and this goes for all things in our field like you could sit with it on your hard drive with a million fears right. <laughs> like i can't pitch it here i can't do this i can't collaborate i can't split with the publisher i don't want it to get stolen okay Tell me what it's going to do for you sitting on your hard drive. Zip. Zip a Rooney. So, yeah, yeah that, that's exactly why people don't post, I think, in many, many cases. Mark, uh, Mark Ryle just said, uh, wherever he went, uh, he just said, yeah, thank you, Michael, for addressing that. That's one of my fears. Um, all right. So now let's talk about the types of agreements. Um, you know what? I'm going to play the songs now. I'm going to play the before and after version of one of Casey's things. Uh, and I know he's, he's let's say, <laughs> self-conscious about the vocal on this. Um, but you know what? You did a better job singing it than I could have done. Um, although I do sing really decent background vocals. I, you've probably heard my voice on a record or two. Um, I, I think there's, a phony <laughs> there's a phony background vocals on there. 
Those yeah. BAW <laughs> generated plugin uh, backups. The Bee Gees won't be calling me any time to do backgrounds, but I have actually, but I cannot do singing by myself without just horrifying. Even cockroaches leave the room when I try to sing. Um, so we're going to play a demo that Casey did with Band in the Box. And I've got to say, I was a little bit impressed with Band in the Box on this demo, far better than it was back in yeah. like the mid 90s when I first encountered it. So I'll play about a minute of this, and then I'm going to click over to the version that, is this the one that Paul Otten did with you? Paul Otten, he did this. Right, so, and you'll recognize that what you did, the sketch you did, largely ended up being what the, the Paul Otten polished production sounded like. And pardon me if the, the levels come out crazy. I'm having a hard time finding uh, the right levels here with... Uh, with myself, Casey, and this stuff. So here we go. This is, what's the song called? The Fire We Breathe? The Fire We Breathe. Okay, here is the demo version. Demo, D-E-M-O, here we go. In the heat of desire Angry words don't matter anymore <laughs> we forget about the day before Deep down inside We know where we're gonna be tonight I will see you in the morning light When our lips are closed It's complete surrender We know just what we need When our two hearts are melting the fire we breathe The fire we breathe Okay, and now We break and break up See you in the morning light When our lips 
Well, Paul, I mean, Paul's amazing. Um, the sound sound on this probably doesn't do justice to the difference as much, but I mean, it's pretty astounding. Um, this one, if I recall, the collaboration, I don't remember if it was work for hire or collaboration. We do both, but this was purely a production thing for, for me to do with Paul. I've done a lot of co-writes where, um, you know, he modifies things that I start with or I don't have the whole thing. Early on, I sometimes gave him a chorus. Yeah. And we, and we worked from that. Um, so let's talk about that for a minute. How do you determine, that was my question before, is the process of understanding who does what and what's the value in that. So let's say that somebody who just writes a lyric, but they're in form. There's a, a verse, a chorus, a bridge, and the lyrics are good. Somebody else writes the, the melody and does a whole production to it. Are those 50-50 partners because the first person wrote the lyric and brought the idea for the song? What about if you had a track and all you needed was somebody to play fiddle on it? And that's a collaboration. Is that a 50-50 or do they get 15% because all they did was play the fiddle? So talk about that whole range yeah, of the way these common, things. Even more common would be to hire a vocalist. Um, okay, mm. so work for hire versus collaboration, the basic difference is in general, well, not in general, it is with a work for hire, you've hired somebody to do a job. You pay them one fee once and they get zero ownership of anything in terms of any future royalties of any kind. Um, whereas a collaboration, you both own uh, usually the composition and the master together. Um, so Paul, if, if I had done that as a work for hire with Paul, which I might have, he's not getting any more royalties other than what I paid him for up front. What about somebody who doesn't want to shell out, you know, $100 for a vocal or $500 for a track? And that comes up all the time. So there are a lot of times where it's done as a collaboration, where um, I have a song that I'm just finishing now with Mark Blackwell. I wrote the whole song, but he did a kick-ass job on the production and we hired a vocalist and I hired a vocalist okay um in this case mark and i decided it would be a co-write co-ownership which is very common and that's a 50 50 split um, um the vocalist was a pure work for hire they got paid once they don't own anything but a lot of people will produce in exchange for split and uh one thing 50, that 50 50 split 50 /50. yeah and i think it's this is very important because the professional way to do things is even split the worst thing you can do in collaboration is is quibble about well that's only 25 percent. why is that it's not 60 percent? yeah i think i've heard that in nashville there's an expression of write a word get a third yeah <laughs> Where did he go? Damn, Casey. Ah, so frustrating. We'll be right back. He has no idea. <laughs> no idea that he's gone. He'll figure it out. Meanwhile, should I do my Casey Hurwitz imitation? No, I don't think so. Um, let me text him. Are we back? Yeah. What is okay. that? That's so weird. You've got all green bars and lots of them. 
I don't know. It could be on my end. But so I was saying that if, if while you guys weren't listening, I was saying. <laughs> um, so I was saying that um, everything should be a you know that you should never quibble about percentages. It's an equal split everywhere. Especially no, if you're happy with your collaborator and you want to work with them again, they'll never come back. Yeah. And I started to say was, I have collaborations and many of us who collaborate do where maybe I did 10 or 20% of it. And they did 80, 80, 90. But with that same person, I might have one where it was the other way around, okay? Um, it's, you want to build that relationship and not, you know, not focus on, well, I, you know, I, I really want 75% of that. I also want, I have to say that when I've collaborated with taxi members, I've almost never had a problem. That's almost because never. they've gone to the trouble of using taxi as an educational resource and they know the etiquette of the business is my guess. I, everybody is, that I work with is so professional. Um, I've ne I, I think the only not so great experiences I had were with people that I met from outside the network like I had a shocker once where I had no idea this would happen. And I'll mention collaboration agreements in a few minutes. Um, but when, when it came time to sign off, you know, to get ready to pitch it, they said, whoa, why do you get 50% here? I think I should get 75% because I did the production. Yeah, what about then they go, I did the production, therefore I own the master, okay be that way i'll give you 50 50 on the composition but i now own a hundred percent of that master because i did the production how does that conversation go yeah it, luckily with our film tv work it doesn't that division that problem doesn't come up much but it's a sticky problem everybody i work with we split 50 50 master and composition um and i also like that because although libraries are set up for you to uh, sign songs with them with different arrangements or percentages, a lot of them don't do it that well. Some of them only have one percentage to fill out. Some of them, not that many, but I've seen some that it's automatically split when you when you sign up with them. Yeah, um, I don't like complications, you know, um, at all. The only time it could be sticky with the master versus the composition, um, and this is why you got to talk up front. Is let's say we do a song and we split everything and it's film TV. But that person now says, whoa, you know, I want to make another version of that song and pitch it to artists. Can I do that? And why do you own half of that? Um, or, you know, or um, why should the person who did the production on that one own part of the composition, they would say? Yeah. It can get sticky there, um, but you know, I work mostly in the film TV world where we don't really, I don't really have that, but I've seen that happen. I don't really have an answer, but, um, you know, I think that the way I look at it is if that person who did the production that now owns 50 of everything never did that, would you really have the song? And would you, re able, would you really be able to hear what you're hearing now to know what you'd want to do elsewhere? The same could be said going the other direction. If you hadn't brought them the top line, they wouldn't have anything either. So I, I think it's fair and equitable, but clearly you have to work this stuff out beforehand because it get, it doesn't just get sticky, it gets ugly yeah. if you're ironing out these yeah. details as the problems arise. That never goes well. <laughs> that, that's a divorce right. level of disagreement right there. 
Right, and that's where, like, I ha I don't, I sign collaboration agreements now, but, uh, and they are important, and I recommend them always. It's gotten to the point with me, with the people that I work with, we probably don't even remember to do them, because when I work with a Marcus Cohen, you know, or a Bob Meddy, um, we're not really even thinking about it. But when you work with somebody, you really should have a collaboration agreement, especially if you don't know each other and you really don't know what each other's vision is and how they see the world. Um, you really want to get that in writing up front. And um, where where did you grab your agreement from? Um, <coughs> and can you recommend a resource? There's a, uh, I believe what I use is one that most of us are using now where we've all modified a little. Um, John Brahini had resources on his site and they're still out there. And he had a sample collaboration agreement. And I think a lot of us took that one. The only th edits we made to it, if I remember, were his goes back to the days where, where you were mainly pitching artists and not as much film TV. Yeah, JB, uh, he, he was like you know an older brother to me. He didn't yeah. know that much about film TV because you're right. He came from the um, Diane Warren was a 13 year old girl when she would go to his classes. Right. So yeah, JB lived very much in that record world. So I, I when you said that it was from his book, I was doubting how applicable it was to film TV, but... Yeah, um, what we did is we just, you just want to make sure that your collaboration agreement refers to both the, the splits on the master, the split on the composition, both. And I think that was the correction we made on his. Um, you know, it's funny, around the taxi community, once one of us has an agreement, we end up sharing it with each other. Sometimes somebody will send me an agreement, they're like, hmm, I recognize that. Um, so the composition and the master should be mentioned. The other thing that's important about a collaboration agreement, besides the splits, is who has permission to do what under what circumstances. Um, now, so, some of this may not hold up. A lot of our agreements say that we must both sign an agreement, like a library agreement, yeah. or either one of us can sign a non-exclusive, but only but we need both for exclusive. Um, that actually and, sounds like a bad idea to me because one of you could sign the non-exclusive agreement then the other one of you brings a deal to the table for an exclusive library that won't pick it up because it's already been signed by a non-ex yes non-exclusive <laughs> yeah and you gotta basically though the professional thing to do is don't sign anything anywhere without talking to your co-writers i mean that's the real thing to do now you could put certain things in the agreement like what if the other party can't be reached for 10 days like i see this in agreements i'm not a lawyer i can't tell you how good that would be but if i can't reach somebody within 10 days i have power of attorney to sign contracts i don't think most libraries even accept that um so the the professional thing to do is you collaborate with somebody if you want to pitch it to a library or an opportunity talk to them no surprises <laughs> And get it, you know, honestly, best to have the conversation at least memorialized in an email because yeah. we all forget things. Some of us are getting older. Uh, if we're getting, we, we don't take Nareva. Um, I could get a, a, a payment from Nareva because I just plugged their product there. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, if you're having important conversations, if you there are tools now that let you record a zoom and that will write yeah. a summary of the zoom so you get a, an actual visual recording an audio recording and a written summary it's a handy tool to have i just uh 
got rid of my old version and I'm getting a new version of it soon, but I've used it before. It works quite well. The other thing is just simply send an email. Hey, you know, hey, Bill, great conversation. Look forward to working with you just to reiterate the terms of our understanding. Our point A, B, C, D, have a nice day. Yeah, and I almost always do an email. Um, hey, is it okay? I've actually had to send out like a mass email to 10 different writers that says, hey, I've got this opportunity. Uh, we can get some in-store airplay if we sign with this company, um, not exclusive. I just want your permission. In, you know, please yeah. answer this email, I would okay. It's always good to get it get it down. Um, again, with people I know and trust through the taxi community, I generally don't run into too many problems. Now, there are some situations that are worth looking out for. Almost every library deal requires both signatures, all signatures, two, three, every person has to sign. Yeah. It's not true for all libraries. There are RF libraries, and not all RF libraries are horrible. Some are okay. RF um, as in royalty free. Royalty free, my, yeah, my bad. Um, where you only only one has to sign because it's your responsibility to pay your co-writers. Um, you list your co-writers and their um, PRO info, but they don't ask them to sign. Um, so, uh, go ahead. So that does exist out there, and. Um, so I've seen deals like that, and you know it would be awfully unprofessional and rude to not make sure that that co-writer or co-writer your co-writers are okay with it. Um, honestly, I'm not as familiar with royalty-free libraries as I probably should be, but I understand. Yeah, you know, there are some big ones out there that are are fairly reputable, but. Um, having listened extensively to their catalogs on weekends, which is how some people watch TV or watch football or go yeah. go do something with their family. Not me. I sit at home listening to royalty-free library catalogs, and I've been a little underwhelmed by the quality in many of them, not all of them. Um, and my understanding is that they charge their clients a monthly fee, let's say, $29 a month for all you can eat. Um, there are some that, even though they're called royalty free, if your piece of music ends up in a TV show with a PRO that's attached to it, that you actually do get paid through the PRO. So right. at that point, it's not royalty free, but there are others that don't do that. So just a general word of caution, be more educated about royalty free than I yeah. personally am. And, um, I have yet to meet anybody, and I certainly know a lot of people that make music for sync. I've yet to meet anybody who can say that a very significant portion of their income, if they're, let's say, earning more than ten grand a year, that a significant portion of that comes from royalty free. So just that's yeah. my, my two I cents on that. Point, the point is though, don't sign things without talking to your co writers, period. Somebody you know, it's funny, I was asking some friends for questions for today and I and one of my very good co-writer friends had a situation where after they're already signed with the library, so maybe this person and their co-writer is signed with the library. Now the library wants to do some special thing where they allow AI use of, you know, artificial intelligence variations. Right. And it's a separate thing. The co-writer wants to go ahead and say yes to that. Because they'll get a check for a couple hundred bucks you know, or so something. This is where that communication thing is so important. Um, got to be together. You got to have the same vision. Yeah, I don't know if I would be comfortable signing a contract 
with a publisher or a music library these days that had language that's you know was all inclusive for any use anywhere in the universe if they could use that language to authorize your music being scraped for AI. But I do want to make a clear a, a delineation, which is AI doesn't go in and sample your music per se. It doesn't take your vocal or your string sound and make a loop of it or make it available as an instrument. It actually looks at it and determines using artificial intelligence. Oh, this is what it's all about. It's basically an algorithm that teaches that computer to mimic what you're doing, but it's not copying it. So therefore, there's no human involvement. And if there's no human involvement, it can't be copyrighted. So it's going to be a while. Sadly, the government takes a very long time to get bills written and then get them passed. Yeah. And the technology is so going to outpace any legislation that might regulate it or protect songwriters that I fear the future for that reason much more than I do a robot's going to take my job. Uh, it's while they're busy hashing it out and taking their sweet time about it and probably not getting it all that right anyway, not that I'm anti-government. Did you hear that, NAS? Um, it's just, I, I worry that much like what happened with, um, you know, uh, file sharing with music back in the Napster days. I mean, my God, uh, regulations were, were just not even in the contest, not even in the race. So th it's going to be very interesting time moving yeah. forward. Um, right. Anyway, we are going to talk about that at the Road Rally, November 2nd through the 5th in Los Angeles. Um, my first interview, the keynote interview, is going to be Adam Taylor, who is the president of APM Music, which is by far the largest library in the world. And he's also the chairman of the board of the Production Music uh, PMC, uh, PMA, Production Music Association, which uh, just wrapped up their conference uh, yesterday. So I'm excited. I've known Adam for a long time, and we really hit it off when we met, but we haven't talked to each other in like 12 years. And when I called him to ask him if he would do this, he's like, yeah, why don't we ever talk to each other? So he's very nice and very smart and AI. I've got him on stage for like an hour and 15 minutes or something. I think that probably 20 or 30% of my time is going to be spent talking to him about AI. Because frankly, why should I do all the research when he's done it and I can just pry the answers right out of him. Yeah. So I'm excited to have him. Uh, November 2nd through the 5th, the Taxi Road Rally, two free tickets for every member. Um, how many rallies have you been to? I've been to every live one since 2007. Okay. Um, so 2007 to 20, that's 16 years. So you've been to 14 live ones. Um, that's impressive. Um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, you know what? Look, uh, I'm going to spill the beans on Casey. He's got a little bit of stage fright. He said before, he said, I don't mind doing a class in a room full of people, you know, especially if they're like some people in there that he knows and it's 30, 40, 50 people. He said, I don't, you know, I, I would never want to get up on, on the stage in the grand ballroom in front of a thousand people. Um, where the hell was I going with that? You're talking about my stage fright. Yeah, I know, but for a reason. See, I do for need to revive. Um, about the uh, rally, about people being scared to go to the rally, maybe? Cause yes, thank you. That, you know, that's one of the things we hear from people, and I so understand that. It's like 
man, I'm going to get off a plane at a big airport in a big city I've never been to. Number one, you walk outside of the airport and you get a shuttle and 10 minutes later you're at the hotel. So you don't have to drop a hundred bucks a day on a rental car. It's going to sit in a garage for three days. That's number one. Number two, I get it. You walk into this pretty large airport hotel, nice airport hotel, I should add, and a really good deal. Um, and uh, there's a couple thousand people you don't know. But you know what? If you hang out in the forum or if you're part of the chat room on Taxi TV, you've got friends. And then you walk in and uh, you could literally go up to the taxi registration desk and say, has anybody seen that guy Casey Hurwitz? And they'll go, yeah, that's him over there with the white hair and the glasses wearing that Be Courageous shirt right there. White hair? No, you're kidding. Well, um, some of it. Anyway, um, yeah. I, I get I get it. I'm basically, I know it's hard to believe watching taxi TV. I'm an introvert. I prefer to not talk to people. I prefer to not go to gatherings. I hate parties. I despise parties. Um, unless people want to talk about the music industry, then I love going and I will command the conversation all yeah. night long. But my point being, I get it. I feel for you. Casey, do they have anything to fear um, when they come to a road rally as far as feeling out of place? No. Not at all. Um, the more people you know in the forum, the better. Um, because, like, I remember the first rally I went to, I already knew a group of people from the forum. <laughs> it's me. I've got a button. Every time he's going to say something intelligent, I hit the kill switch. <laughs> He'll be back. Oh, my gosh. I can't figure it out. Why, why, why does this happen? He had good signal strength. He had four green bars. Come back, Casey, come back. Ugh. There he is. Okay, so, no, if, if uh, we got to the point about does people have anything to fear if they're shy going to the rally? Right. And um, I said, I was saying how I already knew a bunch of people from the forum, which helped a lot. Uh, two things. Um, I don't know if people do this anymore, but God, back in 2007, Dave Walton, a good old friend of mine. Yeah, I haven't said, heard from him in forever. Yeah. How about this? Everybody on the forum put a dot on their badge. Right. And we and it was a great idea. We found each other easily. Well, beyond that, though, I, I, I don't know if this is a great analogy, but if you go to a Halloween party, Breaking the ice is real easy, right? Because everybody's got a costume on and there's something to say immediately. I find just the badges and where people are from. It's just so different because you want, you see people, so-and-so from this part of the country and, and, you know, and there's such like-mindedness and it is so much easier to talk to people. Yeah, because um, you're all involved in the same thing. Just, just everybody having that badge and their name and where they're from, you know, like you know their name immediately because they're wearing it. <laughs> um, all right, so we've talked about work for hires. Let's talk about, we, we touched on the subject of professionalism before. Um, you have seen a lot of unprofessional actions by people on the forum and almost, I would guess, correct me if I'm wrong, the vast majority are from people who are new to the forum. And they think that the forum is a little bit clicky because people on the forum will go, dude, 
chill out. We've got all the answers, all the help you need, a group of very friendly people who are experienced. But they're so used to being on other forums where people are just downright nasty and opinionated right. and unwelcoming. And they think that the taxi forum is going to be like that. So they come in full of false bravado and with a bad attitude and like, I'm an expert and the rest of you guys don't know anything. Um, do you have any advice for people on how to grow a professional or a persona, you know, where does that come from? How did you guys all become the professionals that you are? Is it something you just learn over time by watching other people who don't act foolish? That's hard to say because I think the people that act those as outrageous as some people do, I don't, sad, but I don't know there's much hope. I think you have to have a certain amount of, of something built into you. Um, <clears throat> you know, there are places where people are just angry at the world. And, you know, there are places on the Internet where all you hear is angry at the world comments. Well, I'm sorry. This is the way it is. You know, you can be angry, but it's not going to help. Right. So I think you have to have a little bit. You don't have to be the most outgoing person in the world. But, you you know, um, what was the expression you hear all the time? What's the basic rule? Don't be a D. <laughs> I won't right. say the word. No, don't be a D. You know, Wait, like, which word? Douchebag? What? No, shorter <laughs> word. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> got it yeah i i have no answers for that um if people are just angry and idiotic then and and the thing about the forum is everybody there is trying to help even that person who acts that way and and usually don't and sometimes maybe you could rescue somebody but that doesn't mean they have to love taxi they don't that doesn't mean they have to stay with taxi Maybe it's not right for them. I mean, I actually was having conversations today with somebody about, well, maybe taxi's not right for you. Maybe, you know, you love music and maybe there's other things you should be doing with it because this might not be the thing for you. Yeah, well, um, you would think that by virtue of the fact that we let anybody and everybody look at the listings every day of the year for free, we put them on the mailing list if they so choose, so they can see, they know what the opportunities are, and then they join taxi and complain about it. You guys don't have any... Um, Swiss heavy metal listings, you know, well, I, you couldn't figure that out by looking. As a matter of fact, we actually have a thing that we don't talk about much, but it does exist where you can look at every listing that's populated for the previous year, like up until yesterday. Yeah. So people can see how many, you know, Swiss heavy metal listings does taxi have in a year. And you're right for somebody that, you know, is very specific to that genre they may they shouldn't join because we may only have two of those listings in a year however the conversely if somebody does primarily country and they think well well right we've been going through a renaissance of country listings lately just tons of them from really good resources um but they might think you know i i i'm not a composer they see the word composer and they think that it's got to be you know batons and violins and brass and all that stuff <laughs> And they don't realize that they could take the chops they've got creating country songs and turn that into there's a cue using the same chops that they use to record their country demos. So for them, if they just open up their mind and expand their horizons a little bit, Taxi could be a great resource for them, but you got to get outside of your, your own head a little. 
Anyway, I'm, I'm stealing your well, platform. And the, and the point is, one thing that people take a while to learn, and when they learn, they, often, they will crack the code sometimes. In your listings, the reference tracks are everything. Yeah. And if you, if you can't make music that sounds even remotely close to the references, you, it, you're not going to get there. You know, um, there's something called wishful listening where people hear the music. <laughs> they make. I'm no different than anybody else. You know, when I early on, you know, I sent any crap through thinking, well, it might be close. <laughs> and, you know, nobody gets a forward play. Um, so, you know, it, it, getting the, uh, getting that reference track thing down. And by the way, that is a great motivation for collaboration. A lot of collaborations start because somebody on the forum or just people who know each other through taxi, I might send an email to Bob Meddy and say, hey, I really like this piano listing. I got some instrumental stuff, right? Um, what do you say we do something? Um, I actually, with Bob, I've taken songs I have partly written or fully written, but I couldn't come up with lyrics or it didn't really have a chorus, just never went anywhere as a song, but as a piano instrumental, could be really good. And I've given them to Bob Meddy, and we've got a series of tracks together, at least two of which have been used on network TV. By the way, I meant to ask you when we listened to um, uh, The Fire We Breathe, did that song end up on Chicago Fire? It did. It was in a scene It was in a scene in a bar in the background, which yeah. is very... Now, will I say it's extremely loud? People have to... It's always disappointing for all of us when we finally get that song on TV and it's buried very far in the background because it's source music. It's basically representing what people might hear if they were sitting in a bar. Right, so, it's yeah, two, two decibels louder than the air conditioning. It's, <laughs> it, you know, at times it's brought to the foreground, but that's, um, you know, and, and we laugh, you know, you try to play one of your placements for somebody, like a video <laughs> clip, and I'm like, what do you mean you can't hear it? Put the headphones on, turn the volume up to 973, and you will hear it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that and, and and that is a great example of where a song fits, like a jukebox kind of thing, or you know, that is a like a classic rock song. Yeah, probably would never be forwarded for a contemporary listing. It doesn't have a very contemporary sound. I uh, it's it's kind of almost like uh, Tom Petty, a little bit of Neil Young in there, maybe uh, the electric part of yeah. Neil. Um, yeah. Um, Little, I mean, I had a little Springsteen in my head when I wrote it, but it doesn't mean it came out that way. But how did you get it out? Did you use olive oil and tweezers? <laughs> <laughs> you know, song, we should try to write contemporary, but there are uses for things that are not fully contemporary. Um, sometimes really good songs have will fit elsewhere. Yeah, not as often, but uh, not, you're right. No, not as often, don't get me wrong. I mean, try to be as contemporary as you Oh, and one piece of advice I always give people, if you can't write contemporary, if you still live in the 60s, which I do a lot, then write something that um, sounds authentic to that period. Yeah. Like I have a series of songs I did with um, Scott Free uh, uh, that are pure 60s style that are in libraries and get pitched all the time. And they, if I tried to put them off as, you know, send them as modern songs, they would never have worked. But for scenes that take place in the 60s in a movie or TV show, they have a lot of value. 
Uh, before you mentioned uh, the references or everything, I, I for people who are watching the show that aren't members yet, um, and you should be, because then you could go to the Taxi Road Rally November 6th or 2nd through the 5th in Los Angeles. But um, And take my class. Oh, sorry, go ahead. There you go. Um, it's Some people think that the industry is asking them to get dangerously close to mimicking the references. My take on it has always been, and I think this is good advice, um, listen to the three references and triangulate. Are they all close in tempo? Do they all have a positive, uplifting feeling and message in the lyric? Mm -hmm. um, do they all have a male vocal? Are they all in a middle key? Um, look for those things, don't try and create something that's dangerously close. That doesn't serve anybody's interest. First of all, right. it's, it's just unethical. Second of all, people don't want anything that close, but they want something that's got that visceral thing. Somebody walks into that bar in Chicago Fire. Well, who's in the bar? It's a bunch of 25 to 35-year-old firefighters. They're a little bit rough and tumble. They're certainly not, um, yeah, they're manly men. Um, so they're going to be listening to something that's got a rock edge on the jukebox in that bar. Who's there? What kind of bar is it? What's the general vibe of those people? So obviously when you're listening to the references, you don't know that a year and a half from now it may end up in Chicago Fire and you can't write to that vibe, but you can notice the similarities amongst the references. And that's what I would write to. Am I, is that Absolutely. good advice? Absolutely. Figure out like, you mentioned the word would be on the same playlist right you know if you were the dj playing a group of songs like in the old days remember when an fm jock would play a bunch of songs in a row that he liked to play together um before there were spotify playlists that did the same um you know yes you want it to be like the play yeah and maybe the type of instrumentation mm -hmm. would be That's similar a good suggestion not the same, you know riffs not the same motifs whatever um and it's very important what you said is about not copying too closely. I mean, there's a library that I won't mention the name that all of us pitch to all the time, uh, starts with C and everybody talks about them. When they reject songs, they may reject it because of the song itself. It's not, you know, a production or just sounds too similar yeah. to a known song and they don't want to get sued. Um, I've even seen them remove songs that were already in there months later. Yeah. Um, yeah. A piece of advice that I used to give that I haven't given out in a long time is if they want you, the song Miss Me by the, oh, there he goes, <laughs> the Miss Me by the Rolling Stones. Um, the guitar sound, you know, the, the, um, the sound of the Telecaster and that amp are so, so, so important that if you come up with something in a similar tempo, maybe the same key you can't get busted for doing something certainly in the key of g that's not breaking any copyright laws um and then uh, there you go so use a telecaster with just you know like 20 percent distortion on it there you are okay, we're back. um wow. i'm telling him that you know if somebody wants you to uh, get something that would fit on a playlist with the rolling stone song miss you um get a telecaster is it in the key of g Use the telly. Does it sound like it's running through an amp with some overdrive on it, a little distorted? Right. Sure it is. Can you play choppy chords like Keith Richards? Yes, I can. So those things, 
you want the listener, if they pay attention to the song, which frankly they shouldn't, most of the time the song is supposed to be wallpaper and not be the star of the scene, but if they should listen to it where they go, have that fleeting thought, is that the Stones? No. Sounds a lot like them. That's okay. Right. You haven't broken any copyright laws, although there have been acts that have sued people um, for getting too close to a signature sound of an act. But right. uh, AI, which is a whole other topic, and I am going to be talking about AI, like I said, yeah. with the president of APM at the road rally, um, the day may come where that's a real problem because AI may choose, and you'll be able to tell your AI by prompting it, uh, make it very similar to Rolling Stone song, Miss You, instrumentation-wise, vibe-wise, attitude-wise, mm -hmm. but definitely not melodically or lyrically. Yeah, and like I said, like they're great collaboration opportunities. When you read a listing, that might be the trigger that says, you know what, I can do some of what this is asking for, but I don't have it all. I uh, I don't remember about maybe last year there was something for children's instrumental music. Yeah. And, and I generated something and banned in the box, and then I, I, you know, those tracks usually are throwaways for me. I usually have a producer either massage some of the tracks and replace them, do some combination, but there's somebody Owen Gretsch comes on the forum sometimes he took it produced it we made a uh, a children's instrumental together and it got the forward wow um so sometimes you know like I said I'll, it could be a piano instrument it could be a, they want a rock song they want a 60s song or you know they want pop um you know which is something I might want to mention later about some of the pop work I do that where I only write the lyrics <laughs> um because I don't write pop, I'm a rocker, you know, or singer-songwriter guy. When you write lyrics in the clear, no, no, do you hear a tempo, um, a, a, like rhythm guitar, rhythmic part? Do you hear any sort of melody, or you you literally constructing it like an erector set, where you know that it's got this many hits and that the rhyme is going to fall there? Um, what's what's your methodology for writing pure lyric? The method I've I always use, I don't know that I've ever not used this and it's resulted in quite a few placements is, and it's been mentioned, I think Robin Frederick may mention this, take a known song, you know the melody, write a completely different set of lyrics that could be sung to that melody. It might not be perfect, but as close as you can get, look at the structure, the types of rhyming, um, and also, um, this is really good for us old guys. The way they speak, because you got to write the way people who are 20 years old might speak to each other. Like, I'm even scared to mention, call, call me on the phone in a song anymore, right? Oh, yeah. kids don't, right? Or call me on a payphone, even worse. <laughs> well, that would be worse. Drop a dime is not good. Don't say I'm going to drop a dime. Um, so I have like... I, I can't tell you how many songs I have in libraries or have been on TV because I sketched out, a, I wrote a set of lyrics to a known song. I've given a ton to Marcus Cohen, who is a genius, and he can take my lyrics and I may have done them to a singer-songwriter song. I could have done them to a country song, a singer-songwriter song. I never tell him or the other person ah. what song it came from because they can, will have that other melody in their head. Yeah. So I start with a singer-songwriter and he's got a, an urban R&B song with my lyrics. 
Um, I think I was thinking of the example. Um, did a song. Um, what the heck was that Katy Perry song that I? Okay, Katy Perry had a big hit with a song called "When I'm Gone." And the hook line is, when I'm gone, I'm never really gone. Okay, so I start with that and I say, what can I say in that phrasing? And I came up with, take my heart, I'm handing you my heart. The phrase is pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. And then I work all the lyrics around that. But following her style of how she's saying things, how she may be repeating phrases twice in a, in a line and things like that. And Take My Heart was on Young and the Restless a few times. Uh, thank you, Katie. <laughs> she, um, as many, yeah, as many of you know, she was a screener here at Taxi before she was famous, literally right before she quit being a screener to go record the album that made her famous. She had another record deal that flopped and she got dropped. <laughs> I bet the, the A&R person or VP at that label is regretting that move. Anyway, um, she must have heard some of my early songs, which is really a frightening thought in my mind. It's a, actually, she was mostly doing gospel when she was here. Oh, um, I'm lucky that she didn't hear my songs. <laughs> yeah, um, I did hear her praying a lot after she heard a couple songs. It might have been yours. Like, please, dear yeah. God, make it stop. Anyway, um, yeah, Katie was a screener, and uh, I saw over the weekend somebody posted on the internet uh, it might have been on our forum who knows uh katie perry worked there and they couldn't even get her sign shows you how much taxi you know can't help any of us <laughs> it's like no she worked here as a screener you even said yeah. it in your post she worked at taxi it didn't say she was a taxi member people are funny yeah. um letting go of your original concept is a problem that i hear about from a lot of people who collaborate yeah. if there's a certain amount of temp love or demo love or this is the way i hear it and then the collaborator comes in well the reason you're using a collaborator frequently is two heads are almost always better than one especially when you've got a working relationship and you've got your rhythm and that trust is there <clears throat> how did you learn how to overcome um <clears throat> excuse me how did you overcome that demo love or temp love and trusting kano or paul otten or any of your collaborators bob Meddy, any of these folks trusting that their idea that you're not really wanting to warm up to because you didn't hear it that way and just being able to let go and go you know what i brought you in for your opinion now i'm going to be a big boy and let you run with it how hard is that <laughs> You know, it's extremely hard, and I got to say, I'm I've gotten decent at it, but I've had my players. <laughs> if if I, if I said it doesn't ever plague me, that would be a lie, um, because it does. But you have to really work at it, um, and really understand the art of compromise with co-writing. When you get something back, whether it's the production or a co-writer's vision of your song, it often will sound nothing like you had in your head. Um, one thing I've learned is don't try not to conclude anything to you listen for a few days. Um, but it is one of the hardest things to accept the changes from somebody else. And sometimes it's great. You know, you have no issues at all. What comes back is so darn good. You know, I'm going to have a laugh because I, I don't know if John Lewis is watching, but we've written a couple together and we've had some placements. Um, we did a song together <clears throat> that I really wanted it to be a rock song. At least a fast-paced song. Yeah. He said, you know, we should do this as a slow acoustic songwriting song. 
I said, nope, it's got to be one. <laughs> and he gave in, we did it, and it actually came out pretty good, and none of our libraries wanted it. For whatever reason, didn't succeed. John dragged me kicking and screaming into have him doing the acoustic singer-songwriter version. Um, he did it, and it got signed right away. And maybe we'll be lucky and it'll get on Young and the Restless soon. Um, I, uh, so this happens a lot. It takes a lot of give and take. And I've had people uh, where I've tried to do a song, help somebody with a song, and they've said, no, nah, that's not what I want. I'm like, well, I can't help. I don't know what to do. And, I'll, and we do sometimes, you know, when it doesn't work out, sometimes one person says, look, is it okay if I take it back? I think this just isn't working. And often that goes okay. Yeah. Um, how do you end a relationship? Um, let's say that it's the first time you've worked with somebody. They approached you. You were magnanimous. And even though you thought, well, I'm a little more experienced than they are. But, you know, nice guy. I've heard some of his stuff or her stuff. Um, pretty darn good. You know, maybe we'll mesh and you give it a try. And it, you don't feel like it's working out. It's a waste of your time. You'd rather spend the same time moving forward with somebody that you've got an established working relationship with that's productive. How do you break up? Do you dump them in a text? <laughs> Is it like yeah. breaking up? It's like uh, I, I, I met your dad and I no longer want to date you because he scares the hell out of me, so I'm leaving. <laughs> How does that go? Uh, you know, um a lot of things are by email, but I always find uh, I will still, being older, if it's a tough conversation, I like the phone. Um, you know, I have a very good friend who I work with and respect a lot that we, um, I started a song, we were working together, but um, that person was very busy and I could see that my, my heart and soul was in this the way I wanted to do it and, and, and it really wasn't coming together but it is a person i don't want to end this relationship with i just think for this song it'd be better if i go it alone i made sure we zoomed when we talked about it i would not do it because i value the relationship so much i would not do that by text or even email i want the person to be like you and i are right now feeling the the emotion in, our, in the voice the or sincerity. with me looking at the setting on my air conditioning Sorry. <laughs> Say that again. I wasn't paying attention. Sorry. Sorry. It gets, it gets warm around 5.05. But that wasn't ending. Ending, I haven't had that many because it's usually a one-off where, you know, one of us says it's just not working out. Most of the time when something doesn't work out, the initiator is able to take it back and just go on their own. The only time I would say that's different is if, if I would work with somebody on a song and I take it back in some way. I want to go it alone. If I use their contributions in the slightest bit, I owe them the co-write. I will never not give them the co-write. But if I go back to something where it has nothing to do with anything they contributed, then I, you know, then it would be mine. And I make sure they understand that. Have you ever had somebody go, I'm sorry, I've already got four hours into this. I, I want half no matter what form it takes. No, no. That's I, good. I've worked with, I have not had that. I Like I said, 99% of things have gone really well because of, because of the way I've met people. It's been the forum and the rally. Like I, like I said, I think I had one bad experience because and it was outside the taxi taxi group and they were like acting extremely strange about, you know, they wanted a high percentage. And um, I had another person who was like 
all of a sudden they didn't they they're looking at a contract and they're pretending they're an amateur lawyer and how why they can't sign and it was one of our really good taxi friendly see i hit the button again <laughs> he'll be back he loves being here he loves hanging out with me you know and the guy's a star he's had a song on chicago fire my wife doesn't like to watch television that makes her think too much before she goes to bed. And Chicago Fire for about a year has been her go-to. It's mindless but enjoyable TV show. So I know more about Chicago Fire than maybe I should. There he is. Did, I don't know if the part got, came through about, I've had very few bad experiences. I had one where somebody wanted an unusually high percentage. Another one where somebody was hesitant to sign the contract with the C library, which, you know, is about as best. And, you know, nothing gives one of us a heart attack more than getting it accepted by a library that rejects 90%. Right. And the other person is hesitant about signing it. I'm like, so, you know, so it's really good to know who you're working with. Let's talk about let's that talk about issue it. for a minute. Um, yeah, I'm hearing some echo. I think you got me turned up a little loud. But anyway, um, people... There's some, uh, in Yiddish, they're called Bubba Mainzes, uh, like old wives' tales. Um, and some of the old wives' tales in the music industry are everybody in the industry wants to rip you off because you're just a dumb old musician. And, and maybe that was true. I mean, certainly there were some labels in the 50s and 60s yeah. where musicians were taken advantage of. Um, I don't find that happening in the production music library industry, but the problem is that many people who w are desirous of getting into sync are still thinking with a record label brain. And they don't realize it's two different worlds. Yes, music is the common thing, but other than that, there's not a lot of commonality, yeah. certainly in the contracts and the percentages. And have, with the people who it didn't work out with, was that because they brought those old paradigms of the record industry, you know, and somebody said, never give up your publishing. Holy crap, they want 100% of the publisher's share. This is a ripoff. I had it once where I was approached by somebody who found me through Taxi, and we started about started talking about working together, and they had the, the old expression, never give up your publishing. And every once in a while you get somebody who gets into film TV and that I'm not giving up the 50%. Okay, for that is the way it works. And I think that we've talked about this on the forum a lot too. It's like, you gotta understand what that other party's doing for that 50%. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, remember I said early, on your hard drive, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> so 50% of something, a lot better than 0% of nothing. Um, yeah, if you, if you get into the film TV world with the I'm not giving publishing, then you, you don't bother. Don't get into this world. Um, and it's probably true for most aspects. I mean, if, even if you sign with a library, you're not going to keeping all your publishing. I don't know this that part of the business that well, but keeping all your publishing is pretty hard. Yeah, um, typically in on the record side of the industry, a publishing deal is called a co-pub deal, co-publishing deal. Yeah. And typically you and the publisher each get 50% of the publisher share and yeah. you as the writer keep 100% of the writer share. So essentially you're making 75 cents on the dollar. Right. Um, and I have but, a library that, there are libraries that do that by the way. There's a couple yeah. of libraries 
that's a really sweet deal because you're getting 75 percent i'm sorry go ahead yeah and so but that's a different thing and you're shooting for the brass ring of having a hit record that could if it's a hit generate a hundred thousand to a half a million you know in, in the first year i mean you won't see any money for a year but um, versus the library world, especially with instrumentals, where it's going to earn pennies, and the name of the game is have a thousand tracks or fifteen hundred yeah. or two thousand out there in the wild, because cumulatively they add up to a nice income. So it's different; a different game and different rules apply. Um, let's see. Uh, and also, you know, sometimes somebody comes to Taxi because they really want that one mega hit billboard hit song. And it can happen. Um, it's probably not going to happen. I don't like to burst anybody's bubble. Um, most, a lot of the people in Taxi that were from the beginning, like me, I didn't even know what film TV was. I really thought some artist would want to record these great songs I had. So what you're saying is I changed your life. Oh, <laughs> well, first of all, I, I'm no different than anybody else. You know, the screeners were dumb. They don't understand the greatness of my song. Um, but, you know, I learned quickly that, A, even if the song was very good, most of the artists in rock and singer-songwriter are going to record the, write their own anyway. The odds of getting a song cut by an artist is very small. And sometimes they even record it in the studio and it doesn't make the album. Oh, all the um, time. All the time, right? Yeah. So they might do 20 and release 14. Um, so a lot of us quickly learn, hey, but in film TV, there's an opportunity. And also yeah. we realize quickly our songs were not that great. You've been around long enough to remember these panels. Um, I used to have a lot more panels with like four or five vice presidents of A&R major labels up there. And I'm only saying this, I'm going to mention his name because he was a close friend. I mean, like a golf buddy, a going out to dinner buddy. He's no longer in the industry as we know it in L.A. He lives in another city on the West Coast. And chances of him watching the show are slim. So I'm going to say something about him, which he'd be a little embarrassed about, but not wouldn't get pissed off. Whenever he heard something and he was on a listening panel where they were supposed to offer up some form of feedback and some advice on how to make it better, mm -hmm. truth be told is a lot of A&R people and a lot of publishers on the record side of the industry just will give you feedback like, it's just not hitting me right here. It's not resonating for me. It's not grabbing me. Why not? I don't know. It's just not. And that doesn't help anybody, but this guy, I used to, I knew if I went to him with some questions about a song, his answer often was, not good for records, but I think it'd work really well for film and TV. Right. Do you know who, it was Tony Ferguson used to say that every year on the panel. I know. Every year. Film TV songs still have to be damn good songs. You know, I don't oh, wanna, the you bar know, has moved I, so much higher too. Yeah, I mean, with, with, with vocal songs, um, the competition is pretty stiff. Yeah, I, I remember hearing one of your good library people saying, you know, I still listen for the hook. Yeah, I, I care about the production and the vocal, but I want to hear the chorus. <laughs> I want to hear that hook. Um, and, you know, just like you said about feedback, early on, I wrote songs and I sent them to publishers. So before film TV, hoping that they would sign a publishing deal to pitch to artists. Almost always, if I got any feedback at all, it was needs a stronger hook. Yeah. No other phrase needs a stronger hook. Needs a, and I didn't. You know, it took a while to really. If you didn't give them a killer hook, and it, um, 
No dice. They had to hear something that was so undeniably great. Three or four years ago, songwriting and production started leaning toward the less than obvious hook. It used to be, yeah, write me a hook that like smashes you in the face and has you singing along with it before the first chorus yeah. is over. And all of a sudden we're doing, I'm, I'm, I guess I would qualify as an expert and I'm listening to a song going, is that the hook? <laughs> it became, yeah, I, yeah, it, it yeah. became uncool to have a chorus that popped out and was hooky. Thank God we're moving back to that now because yeah. people do want to sing along and they want to tap their foot to it in most cases. I mean, you know, even a ballad has to have that thing that just makes you go, oh, I get it. I think the focus is so much on rhythm that, because I listen a lot um, because I to study song structure um, and I listen a lot and with the tendency towards rhythm that's been influenced a lot by rap and hip hop, the change isn't as melodically chorus-like, yeah. but it might be more rhythmically. Uh, and yeah, you don't always hear the soaring chorus. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm never going to write. I really love writing verse, pre-chorus, chorus. chorus. Mm -hmm. I really work hard at that. And I try to tell the songwriters, the advice I give is master that first. Master how to write a verse, a verse, pre-chorus, and chorus. I know this is a little away from collaboration, but and understand the sectional differences and understand what makes that tick. Because if you could write those three sections, you've already written the song. Yeah. Right. What do you do? You repeat that again with different lyric. Maybe you'll have a bridge and you'll do the chorus two more times and you're done. Yeah. I, you know, as long as you understand that you're writing lyrics for film and TV, um, I'm, I've given this example out a thousand times, but for those of you who are new to the show, if you, we have different screeners for country music for Nashville at Taxi than country screeners for film and TV. The, the folks in Nashville really don't know about how what makes a lyric work in film and TV, whereas in Nashville, you want to have a lot of, as they would say, furniture in the room, a lot of visual descriptions. Yeah. You know, her perfume smelled like a butterfly's wings, whatever that, that smells like. I mean, just, just visual description after visual description because they want to put you in the room. They want you to know the person. Mm -hmm. exactly. Every little thing, whereas in film and TV, all they want is the root feeling or emotion that comes from that furniture. So you have to distill down, you know, I walked into the dimly lit room and smelled her perfume. I was... Um, saw her blue eyes and her golden hair and her pearly white teeth in film and tv it's i walked into the room and fell in love you know it's that simple you can't have you should you can have story in your film tv songs but you can't be as specific you know taylor swift is amazing in her imagery yeah. just amazing at it i you know I, i'm a swifty for an old guy i'm a swifty i as a songwriter i just love her yeah and there's all that imagery but if we get back to collaboration for a second, there are great, I've helped people take a song that was written a little too specific and mold the lyrics back to less specific. I've even advised people, why don't you make two versions of that song? Okay, your artist version has these lyrics that will make it not so great for film TV. Mm -hmm. There's no saying that you can't release that as your personal release and have a sync version that has some different lyrics. People tend to think in, in very um, binary ways, like, you know, either or, black and white, yes or no, can or can't. Um, and I always say, 
just because you're writing for sync doesn't mean you still can't put effort into writing that hit song that you want to get cut by a major artist someday. As a matter of fact, I absolutely believe that writing for sync will make you a faster, better writer and producing for sync will make you a faster, better engineer and producer. Look at Kano. I mean, the guy was already super talented when he joined Taxi, um, but he's taken it to a level that everybody else aspires to because he's able to take his basic work ethic, which is work fast, work hard, get it done today, and apply that um, to sync, but I'm sure that it spills over into his record stuff as well. You know what? He's amazing. Kano, are you still in the room? Is he still in the chat? If you are, wave at me. I, I would love to invite you to be my guest next week on the show so we can talk about that. Anyway. When I give him lyrics, I really think he's got the whole song done in three or four hours. Yeah. That's how amazing he is. Um, but, you know, when it comes to writing and collab, I go back and rewrite songs all the time. And it will drive me nuts if I think a line is a little too specific and I'll find a way to say it differently. And I often will go back. I just didn't like what he's saying. Hit that button. Yeah, I have no idea why this happened. I think they do it to get you to upgrade to the $2,500 a year version. I've already got like the $800 a year version. Apparently that's, I'm not spending enough with this company. Um. Yeah, I, I don't see uh, Marcus in the room anymore. I'll have to call him after the big show. There you are. Okay, so, uh, you know, you can go back and rewrite songs that you have laying around. You can modernize them and say, okay, because I have songs I wrote early on where I wasn't thinking about them being too specific. Um, and I've even approached people, not, the answer could be no sometimes, say, hey, you want to work with me? I could work with you on that. We could. That song is great, the, the melody, the hook, but I think I could help you with the lyric and we get better opportunities for sync. Yeah. Sometimes it's just changing two lines. Do they grasp the concept of, oh, wow, the lyric actually does, you can make something more available and more desirable to the people that need material for picture? Um, or do they like, no, man, you're, you're killing a song here. No, it varies. I mean, I've, I've had successes that way, and there's sometimes not everybody wants the song to be sync. So it's perfectly valid for somebody to say, no, this one is not a song that I care about for sync, so don't worry about it. Um, but, you know, again, everything like that is a collaboration opportunity because it shows about collaboration. Yeah. Somebody might have a really good song, and they're on the forum, um, and you might say, hey, you know what, you want to work on that? Because I'm a pretty good lyricist. I think I could help you on that one. Um, Sometimes it's just a song on the forum that you say uh, where you are giving feedback to somebody. And then I, I know a long time ago, John Lewis put a song on the forum, Christmas song. And I looked at it, I said, this is great, but you got the wrong hook line. And we can and I think it should be a female pop song. And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. And we got together and we wrote a song called Believe in Santa that has been licensed and gets pitched all the time. Um, so, you know, there's lots of opportunity out there. You got to look for them. Yeah. Um, it's funny, uh, we're actually at a point in Taxi's history where so many members have gotten deals that they don't really need Taxi. Uh, they've kind of graduated to a self-sustaining level. And we've got a real problem that 
we are getting by far the best listings we've ever had in the company's history. They just keep getting better and better. The A&R team does a great job um, of doing more focused outreach. Uh, specifically, if we see genres that are not being asked for frequently, and we know the certain library does get a lot of stuff in that genre place and shows, we'll reach out with a cold call or a cold email and bring them into the fold. And then we get, you know, 17 submissions. People want to believe, you know, oh, 1,000 submissions, 5,000 submissions. I can't beat the competition, which, of course, there is no competition because we don't compare one against the other. Um, but we have a real issue. We need more members that can write both instrumentals and songs for sync because it's time for the next generation to step up and experience what you guys who, who have become successful experience. And you know what? Let's make this our last thing we're going to talk about, um, which is, it's freezing in here. Hang on. <laughs> what defines success? You know, and um, somebody was asking earlier, would Casey be comfortable talking about how much money he earns? No, I wouldn't let him talk about that on the show. I think it's a little uncouth, but at least you, you asked in a polite way. But He's got a full-time job, and he's never, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I, I've only, I'm regurgitating what he's told me, which is he was never desirous of getting enough sync work that he walked away from his day job because he actually likes his day job. So it's more than a hobby, less than a full-time job. Is that all accurate? It's a hobby. And, you know, remember we were talking once, my wife walked by and she was saying, it's a hobby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Sue. <laughs> um, yes, it's a hobby for me. I don't, um, you know, I remember I don't produce a lot of my songs, so sometimes I'm paying to have them produced. I do it purely for the love of knowing I created something that gets on television. And not everybody's like that. And it's fine. If your goal is to make five or six figures as a, big part-time thing was a full-time that you know that is good and you might not be content i'm content i never thought that i call myself just a kid with a guitar that one day this stuff i was sitting on my couch making up on my guitar and singing singing badly with would end up on a tv show and for me i that's all that's it's all about that for me i do meet other taxi members like that by the way i know a few yeah. that really just want the pride of hearing their work on TV. One day I hope to get in a movie and see my name in the credits. I mean, some of my taxi friends. I can that. see you standing up in the theater now yelling, that's my song. That's my song. <laughs> I tell you, I have a recurring dream that I'm out somewhere in a restaurant, mall, theater, somewhere, and my song is playing and I'm doing exactly what you described. Um, you know, actually, because I do get in-store airplay, but it's usually overseas. Um, but I always have that dream, and I think it's the same thing. That's my song. <laughs> I actually get in-store airplay on stuff that I worked on in the mid-70s to early-ish 80s. And, you know, I'll be in the grocery store and hear something from a Neil Young record that I, I worked you know you on. Yeah, or, or the, the one I hear most often is uh, You Are the Woman by Firefall, which I was only the assistant engineer on. But it was the first record I worked on that mm -hmm. went on, that got on the radio, became a hit, and uh, eventually gold and then a platinum album out of it. And to this day, I hear it maybe three, four times a year in a grocery store, and I just want to grab the person closest yeah. to me and go, I worked on that, but they wouldn't care. <laughs> it, it is such a, 
good feeling. It's funny, I just got a statement the other day from a library I work with that does overseas in-store airplay and saw songs of mine played in a Burger King in, in Italy. <laughs> that, I, it, yeah, the, that sounds cool. I want to go to I, Burger King in Italy now. I'm really big in Japan. <laughs> um, I went to Burger King on my, I spoke at Bobby Borg's class two, three, four weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, I was guest lecturer at two of his classes, an undergrad and a grad class. And on the way back, I was starving. So I decided to stop into the Burger King that was right by where Deb and I used to live back in the day when I first started taxi. Do you know a Whopper with cheese? I didn't get fries, trying to avoid the cholesterol. Didn't get a Coke because I had a vitamin water in the car. Just a burger. $13 and change. Really? $13 and change. I think the Whopper is what they're talking about in reference to the price, not the actual burger. Yeah. <laughs> but if you heard my song while you were getting it, it would have been worth every penny. That's right. That's right. Because I would have been, what country was it? <laughs> Italy. Italy. Yeah, or, there or you go. So I get a free to, why would they even eat Burger King in Italy? Maybe the best food on the planet, isn't it? You can buy like a $3 bottle of wine in France or Italy that right. tastes like a $35 bottle here. Um, same thing, you know, I, I could care less about bread. If I went the rest of my life and never had another bite of bread, I wouldn't care. Give me a real baguette in Paris. Whoa. Anyway, um, we've got a couple minutes left. Uh, what is the class you're teaching at the Road Rally, which is being held November 2nd through the 5th in Los Angeles? I'm teaching song structures that sell. I focus a lot on on what makes good songs tick. I play a lot of commercially successful songs. Um, I modernize it every year to play more current songs. And we listen carefully for that verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge, and what you're hearing, what makes them tick, what makes them different, you know, mostly musically, but also lyrically. By the way, I, I, everybody should go. Um, the entire ballroom schedule is now, if you go taxi.com slash rally, you can see the ballroom schedule, which I'm very, very happy with this year. The happiest I think I've ever been with the ballroom schedule, to be honest. Um, we have the mentor bios up there. So you can see best group of mentors also in road rally history, best mentors at the mentor launches. Um, I, I gave the classes a haircut and took out stuff that I thought wasn't as applicable as I wanted it to be for our mm -hmm. members and jettisoned some teachers that I thought maybe weren't great teachers. So what I'm trying to tell you in short is that it is the best road rally content wise that I've ever put together and uh, we've ever put together as a team. The staff has been working harder um, earlier this year. Uh, last year, I felt like we were slightly underprepared because we were coming back from COVID and didn't know how to, had to relearn how to do a live event. Um, this year's rally is going to be really good. So go to taxi.com, sign up uh, for the rally. If you live in LA County and you don't come, that's sad and pathetic. Um, I can understand somebody who's having a rough time with groceries and gasoline right now. Um, not wanting to drop three or 400 bucks on a plane ticket, you know, and, and money on a hotel. That's a legitimate uh, reason for not coming, although it's heartbreaking to me that that external force could cause you to miss out on something this good. But man, if you live within driving distance and you don't come just because you couldn't get it together, 
then it's music's not even a hobby for you, I'm afraid. Anyway, now that I've given you a very strong tongue lashing, um, Casey, thank you for doing this. Um, thank you for suggesting it. Um, I'm honored to be part of this and the road rally. Oh, it sounded like there was more coming here and the no, road rally. Thank you. Oh, thank you I for doing see the questions. I don't see the questions, I guess. Uh, no, the, the guest doesn't um, without causing yet another feedback loop. But honestly, you've done such a good job answering all the questions. There were very few. Um, they're mostly saying, what's your room number at the hotel? And do you prefer margaritas or, or shots of tequila? That's because yeah. people want to charge their bar drinks to my room. Um, <laughs> Thank you again. Uh, thank you. And thank you guys for watching. And uh, I'm going to hang up now and go call Marcus and see if I can get him on the show next week. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Casey. Bye-bye. See you soon. Bye Keith LeBrant, ladies and gentlemen. Who I've also collaborated with. And the fade starts here. <laughs> and it gets interesting and we take it out as a tease. <laughs> there, I dumped it.